This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. It's 6 a.m. on Friday, the 20th of May, another Fri-yay, as I like to call it. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. I'm in studio today with Kusu I just swinging it, Chuang. <laughs> good morning, Shaz. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, good to see you. Nice to see you before the weekend. I bet you've got a lot of plans Set up. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine is in from the UK. Um, not too... Well, I mean, if I see him on Saturday night, as promised, it's going to be a big night. And I'm not too keen because I've got a big week next week. So I might just see him for a little while and then go home early. Okay. Yeah. Just thought right. i share that information that's, with you. That's very un- uncharacteristic of you, Chuang. You're yeah, usually a yeah. go big, go home kind yeah. of person. <laughs> but uh, all in moderation, that sounds good. That that's sounds right. healthy. Uh, but we do have a lot of stories that we're going to be discussing this morning. Uh, starting at 7.15, we are going to discuss policy responses to rising food prices in Malaysia with Professor Datin Paduka, Dr. Fatima Arshad of UPM. And this is, of course, on the back of global headlines, warning of a food crisis that could arise out of the prolonged uh, Ukraine war, as well as COVID-19 aftershocks. That's right. And then at uh, 15 minutes later, actually, we, take, we talk to our favourite tech analyst, Dan Ives of Wedbush Securities. He's going to update us on the latest twists and turns of Elon Musk's bid to buy Twitter. Uh, sometimes on, sometimes off, depends on what price and depends on what kind of mood uh, Elon is in at that That's point right. in time. Is he experiencing buyer's remorse, That's do you right. think? We're going to ask Dan that. And then later on at 7.45, we'll get a preview of what to expect when Australia goes to the polls tomorrow with Dr. Zareh Gazarian of Monash University. You know, I saw a photo of the two Prime Minister candidates um, and to be honest, I couldn't tell the difference between them from a distance. They looked exactly the same. Two right? middle-aged white, white men. Australian men. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very difficult to tell apart. Well, we'll get into that a little bit later on the show. We'll have all this and more today on The Morning Run. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was Pink Floyd with time. And speaking of the time, it's 6.08 in the morning on Friday, the 20th of May. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Kusu Chuang. We're taking you through the morning this Friday, all the way up to 10 a.m. And to kick off our conversations this morning, we have a curious story that you've picked up for us, Chuang. Um, why don't you walk us through this uh, article? Well, uh, it is actually a story from um, a, a website named DazedTheDigital.com and it talks about how this character in this story uh, had a love affair with a robot replica. And it made me think, I didn't actually read the article per se, but I know what's happening in terms of its... Um, about how art imitates life and life imitates art and the fact that people are finding... Con- uh, uh, the need to find a connection is getting more and more pronounced as the world becomes more digital and people become more distant, right? And some of those human emotions are absent in daily lives. I mean, for example, if you live in London, which is a city of like 15 million people, if you sit on public transport, nobody ever talks to each other. They are engrossed in their newspaper or their headphones or their music, and there's no conversation. You can see the same thing replicated in cities around the world, Tokyo, London, you know, uh, Shenzhen, Shanghai. And, you know, so, so the world is changing very fast. And I'm not, not sure about whether we can actually, uh, whether, whether the human is able to change as fast as the world is, is what I'm saying. This reminds me of the plot line of a movie um, titled Her. Uh, this with Joaquin is, Phoenix. With Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson, um, directed by Spike Jones. It has that particular... Spike Lee or Spike Jones? Spike Jones. Spike Jones. Yeah, okay. so it has that, that storyline where a person gets involved in a romantic relationship with a 
with the virtual assistant. So Scarlett Johansson exists only in voice form. Um, but in that movie, Joaquin Phoenix and her develop a, a, a you know, typical uh, human romantic relationship, where as typical as it can get between a, a, a human and an AI. So it sounds like this is actually could possibly happen in real life or it's taking place in real life based on what this article is saying. I think they're talking about um, this technology called Replica, which allows you to have conversations um, with an AI simulation of sorts. Uh, And I agree with you totally, Chuang. I think the fact that despite us being more interconnected through technology, uh, loneliness is also becoming a huge thing in our modern society. Uh, Ironically enough, you would think that it's easy to reach out to people just by a click of a button, but that's not really the case. And we can see that in countries like Japan, where there are more and more people um, perhaps spending their lives alone. We have that epidemic of elderly people also ending up um, alone in the last days of their lives. So again, I think this search for intimacy and connection um, is very tangible. And I can see how uh, the use of technology, um, some would see that as a, a means to fill in that void. Yeah. And you know what? I, I, it's, it's very distressing. Like last night I went to an event, right, um, organized by Carlsberg, right? And um, a lot of young people there, uh, people in their 20s and 30s. And, not, and normally, right, normally there would be a lot of interaction and, and a lot of chats and buzz. Everybody was in their phones, you know, and there was a lot of KOLs, you know, influencers, right? And I don't they, think they use the term KOLs anymore, though. No, they do. It's, oh, all, it's yeah? all over the buntings, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, there's different, like, media and then KOLs and then trade partners and what. But a, a lot of people were on their phones and a lot of them were, were invited to this event to basically um, record and, and post on social media. Ah. And, and there was, I mean, there was a discernible lack of, of, of conversation at a, at a meaningful level. That's what I'm saying, right? And then they go home and then, and then everybody's checking their feed, they're scrolling through the Instagram, you know, you know, the YouTube shots or whatever, right? And it made me think, this is so weird. In one generation, the art of conversation is gone. If you go to any like mama restaurant and you see a family sitting there, right? Family of six, family of four, Invariably, the children have a mobile phone. Invariably, the parents are on their phone as well. Nobody really talks. I was at Davis Corner recently, right? Same thing. All six people in the family were all in their phones. Why? I mean, so, so this is a manifestation. This is a robot story. It's, it's, it's sad. It's distressing. It's pathetic. But it's real. And we have to take control of our lives. It, it, it cannot go that direction. I, it must not. I, I think... I mean, I, I, the... Well, I agree with you. You do see that scene in the sense that you see families with their phones. It, that's very commonplace. And it's been that case, I think, for the past five, 10 years, actually, as, yeah. as the, you know, as more people have mobile phones, essentially, and especially as phones become smarter. Um, I think that it is important for us to go back to human interaction and human yeah. connection and I guess relearning ways on how we can talk to each other again. Yeah, because the pandemic didn't help. It's true. The, the, it's, it's, it's sort of like we swing from one pendulum to another, yeah? So on one hand, it's either, oh, technology, like during the pandemic, technology did help us to bridge that gap with people who are, you know, on opposite coasts for those who couldn't travel anymore. But at the same time, are we going back to that other pendulum where then it's also isolating people and people aren't willing to go out anymore? It's kind of, we're always swinging back between those two extremes. So what we need to do is find that happy medium where we use technology um, to better our lives rather than to bring it in the 
opposite direction. Yeah, I just don't know how that um, that momentum is going to come because when you study the animal kingdom, and let's not make let's not make any mistakes. Human beings are also an animal, right? If you look at the animal kingdom, the one motivation that they have for survival is is procreation. It's about multiplying into the next generation, right? That is how the Darwinism laws of evolution occur because it's only when you survive and can procreate into the next generation that's how you survive into the next you know into the epoch, right? Um, without that ability to procreate, um, humankind will, will die out. And that's already happening because if you look at the, the last 60 years, right, human, um, global birth rates have, have decreased and that's, um, that is actually accelerating. That's something that even Elon Musk talks about. That is true. Uh, also, another separate conversation entirely. We, should, we will put that on our docket for a future chat, Chuang. 6.14 in the morning. Uh, tell us what you think. Would you want to have a relationship with a virtual assistant or an AI-simulated robot? What do you think of that? Uh, you can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We're taking a break for some messages. We'll come back shortly. BFM 89.9. That was Janice Joplin weighing in on the conversation that you and I had, Chuang, earlier, Chuang about uh, robot uh, romantic partners. <laughs> that was Janice Joplin with I Need a Man to Love. You are, of course, listening to The Morning Run with me, Shazana Mokhtar, and Kusu Chuang, 6.22 in the morning. Uh, we do have a WhatsApp comment in coming in from Daniel. Uh, he was weighing in also on the uh, comments that you made, Chuang, about watching people uh, on their mobile phones at a social event. Uh, Daniel did point out that I think if you choose to only see one specific habit, that's all you see. And he doesn't think it's accurate to say that everyone is only on their phones. And I guess I would concur with him in the sense that you were at a particular event where perhaps these KOLs or influencers were paid to show that they're there having a good time. Hence, all their phones are out, taking those videos, taking those snaps. So perhaps there was some kind of bias in that sense. But at the same time, there's no doubt that you do see families at restaurants just looking at their phones rather than talking with each other. That's a very Switzerland comment. Let's <laughs> <I> just say. <laughs> Switzerland indeed. Okay, yes. let's take a look at the next story on our docket, which is also courtesy of Yu Chuang. This is regarding a teenage pilot uh, who is uh, flying, um, who's trying to set a record, a flight record. Tell us more. Yeah, Mark Rutherford, 16 years old, half Belgian, half British. He's trying to beat the world record for being the youngest um, pilot to, to fly solo around the world. And he has just landed in, I think, Nairobi, okay, on Wednesday. So he's, you know, he's partway on his way there. And it made me think about, you know, uh, the, mean, the meaning of life, why we're here, um, you know, what people choose to do with their lives. And for the most part, you know, we grow up and... Especially in Asia, we're told by our parents to study hard, go to school, go to university, get good grades, get a degree, come out, um, get a job, um, buy a car, buy a house, have children, and then have a nuclear family by the age of 28, 29. And, and that's us done and dusted, you know. And then it's also the difference in, in cultures between Asian cultures and Western cultures. Western cultures, you've got your gap year, people go traveling when they're young, and they get a chance to see the world. And they, you know, for, for them, there's a high elements of FOMO as well. And and whereas Asian kids, you know, uh, are expected to get on the job ladder as soon as possible, start saving money and being conservative, right? And at all this at the same time as we we are having this digital future where everybody's on smartphones and, you know, we're not, we're not really living life. And to me, this this kid, Mark Rutherford, sixteen years old, he's living life. You know, life is meant to be lived, and a lot of the time we we just miss the wheat from the chaff. I know that you always like to hear these stories, Chuang, about do, young yeah. people going on adventures. Well, people generally, right? 
especially especially when they're on the younger age of things. I think it, it's something that I've, I've used, we speak about this a lot off air yeah. as well. I wonder though, how much of this is a function of actually having the income stability or you know That's infrastructure exactly stability to be able to do that? Yeah. And I can see, you know, yes, if you have that family support, if you know that income is not an issue for you, or you're willing to take those risks because you know you have a safety net, then yes, you can go on these adventures and take that risk. But for other families that have maybe been raised with less uh, privilege, they're going to want to think, oh, I need to secure um, you know, stability for myself first before I try these perhaps uh, you know, daring adventures. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. So that is a typical Asian response. And I also, as a parent, uh, have the same response. But I've read many stories about how kids who have very, very um, interesting habits and very interesting uh, hobbies, and they pursue it. Um, come on, me, right? And oftentimes their parents are librarians or you know, are normal government servants, and they get a chance because their culture is amenable to it. There's no social stigma. There's no pariah status where, oh, he doesn't want to go to school and study. He wants to do this. There's a lot of support for it, and there's a lot of like. Um, I respect what you're doing. Uh, it's up to you if you want to do it and, and go ahead and do it. Whereas in an Asian culture, right, even to become a sportsman, a professional sportsman, even that is stigmatized because, oh, there's no money in it. There's no status in it. Same like being a policeman, right? So, I mean, maybe it's, uh, it's, maybe it's a maturation thing. Maybe it's a cultural thing. I don't know. But, um, you know, um, why don't we live life? And I, I, sometimes I struggle to understand why uh, we do the things that we do. I suppose living life, that, that itself is a subjective yeah. thing, right? Yeah. What does it mean to live life? So for some, maybe living life means being able, that you can pr- being able to provide for your family to ensure that your, the future generation can do what they want. You know? yeah, yeah. And for others, maybe living life is experiencing the now, is for going out to have those experiences yourself. So I guess, it, again, it always boils down to the individual. Um, but thinking about cultures and how different cultures cultivate maybe different characteristics and values, uh, it it brought to mind the fact that I suppose in the West, you're more expected to leave the home at 18 years old and make your own way in yeah. life. Whereas here in Asia, it's not really like that. You're, especially for women, uh, you're kind of expected to stay with the family until you get married, perhaps. Uh, so I wonder how much those types of uh, those types of cultural leanings also play into this whole who gets to do what they want and who has to follow the path. Yeah, I think a big deal. And actually, I want to um, bring up this video that's on YouTube. It's it's gone absolutely viral, right? It's quite an old video, 8 to 10 years old, right? And the interview nurses who have talked to people at the end of their lives, right? People in the 80s and 90s. And I think they spoke to like a few hundred of them, right? And there was a trend. A lot of these people at the end of their lives uh, talked about their regrets, right? And a lot of their regrets... Um, centered around things like, I wish I'd you know, climbed that mountain. I wish I'd started that business. I wish I'd traveled more. I wish I'd spent more time with my children. I wish I'd lived more life more fully. A lot of them, in fact, none of them said, I wish I'd attended more meetings or did more work or earned more money. They never talked about those things. And I think that's something that we should bear thinking about. All right. Well, tell us what you think. What does it mean to live your life? You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio 628 in the morning. We're heading into the 6.30 a.m. News Bulletin. After that, we'll come back with a look at global headlines. Taking you to the news is Sweet Soul Music by Sam and Dave, BFM 89.9. That was Arcade Fire with Ready to Start. And we are indeed ready to start our weekend. It's Friday, the 20th of May. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Ku. Su Chuang. Now we have a WhatsApp message coming in from Harris, who's weighing in on a conversation that we had earlier about um, 
in isolation and you know technology. He WhatsApped in to say that um, he has a bit of a digital detox regime. He did a stint in 2020 where he got rid of his phone and could only be contacted by email. He repeated this again during Hari Raya, uh, and it was something that Chuang you gave your nod of approval <laughs> yeah. to. It's something that you've been wanting to do for the yeah, longest time. Harris, more power to you, man. Um, I think that's good. I think that's that's quite a nice happy medium. Actually, for people in the workforce, it's not entirely possible to do that. But if you're not really working or you're kind of like maybe semi-retired, you can do that and you don't have to be reached all the time. Lah. He said it's worked wonders in terms yeah, of yeah. enjoying your, your the health. environment. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, Harris is celebrating a birthday in a few days. Happy early birthday, Harris. Thanks for messaging. And you can also WhatsApp us if you're listening and you want to weigh in on any of our conversations today. Our WhatsApp number is 018-789-8899. All right. It's that time of morning where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. Chuang, what has caught your eye this morning? Well, something that resonates here as well, because we've been in a bit of a, a slump in the property market since at least 2014, right? Uh, house prices haven't really gone uh, anywhere, and in many cases, they've actually slid the south. So I, I want to cite this report from the Federal Reserve uh, of Bank of San Francisco. You know how the Fed has got like city different. branches, right? Mm-hmm. So the San Fran Reserve Bank, they've done some research, and they've attributed half the 24% increase in American house price increases to the work-from-home um, um, surge. So basically, we've seen that the last year, right, American house prices have risen by 24%. That's huge, right? And they've attributed half of that rise to the work-from-home pheno- phenomenon. So essentially, a lot of people thought it, it came from stimulus checks and Federal Reserve um, um, quantitative easing mechanisms. Not really, because people who have worked from home and want to work from home in maybe more idyllic surroundings rather than in cities and urban centres, they've gone to like to you know to like leafier surroundings. That's the half the increase. I find it very interesting. That is such a curious data point, and it definitely adds more nuance to what's happening in the US in terms of the impact of work from home policies and also why housing prices are going up. It's not just because of a lack of affordable housing and people are scrambling for that, but it just seems to be that there's so many factors that go into it. And hence why, when it comes to property solutions and housing policy solutions, it really does require multifaceted, multidimensional responses. There's really no one uh, fix for everything. Uh, Okay, uh, I have in front of me this headline coming out of Indonesia. Indonesia lifts palm oil export ban in relief to global market. Uh, I think we all followed the news where Indonesia decided that it would um, not export uh, particular types of palm oil products in order to secure its own domestic supply of cooking oil. There was a lot of concern about that in the country uh, with price rises going up. And this feeds into what we're going to be discussing a little bit later with food policy expert, uh, Professor Dr. Fatima Arshad. We'll talk about how rising food prices are impacting us here in Malaysia and whether the government is actually taking the right policies to address this situation. Yeah, and equally as a juxtaposition, Public Investment Bank has said that CPO prices may have peaked and expect an imminent correction. So <laughs> one person says this and one person says that. It's interesting. I want to talk about how um, Elon Musk, uh, that that inventor of the electric car known as Tesla, well, his company has been booted out from the S&P 500 ESG index. So ironic. Ironic, right? He's trying to save the world and um, he's been precluded from the index that includes uh, save the world companies. <laughs> 
We're, we are going to talk more about Elon Musk, uh, Tesla, and also Twitter or his attempt to take over Twitter later on when we speak to Dan Ives of Wedbush Securities. We'll help to untangle just exactly where we are in the deal um, and what's holding it up uh, and how this is going to impact the shares of both companies. Yeah, and the reason why uh, Tesla was booted out of the index is because and I'm, I'm citing the, um, a lady named Margaret Dawn. She's S&P's head of ESG indexes for North America. She wrote that A, Tesla lacked a low-carbon strategy, uh, B, has amassed complaints of poor working conditions, racial discrimination in its, in its fa- uh, Fremont factory, and also mishandled investigations in, into injuries and deaths involving the car's autopilot feature. So in other words, um, Elon may be, may be focusing uh, a lot on the E, but less on the S and the G, which is also, I guess, appropriate. Exactly. I think people often forget about the other components of ESG. Um, well, we'll see how this goes and how this affects Tesla stock moving forward. Uh, very quickly, we know that uh, U.S. President Joe Biden is due to arrive in the region. He's visiting South Korea and Japan this weekend. A lot of uh, eyes on that to see what actually comes out of it, whether he'll make any announcement on this Indo-Pacific economic framework that everyone's waiting to see. How is the U.S. going to come back in an economic way here in the region, especially with China uh, being the heavyweight economic giant here? Uh, something that we're going to be keeping an eye on for sure. Yeah, that ASEAN, ASEAN summit. Actually, I sent a couple of pictures of the photograph of the leaders, right? And uh, it's quite telling because I, I think our prime minister um, was on the fringes of that photograph. It, 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 the placement of your, of the where you stand in relation to the leaders has a very big indication of where you are in terms of um, global importance. And I think we were second from the left. Or second from the right, if you're looking at it head on. So there, there it are, just indicates the importance of the country. There are things that could be read from that photograph, perhaps. That's right. Although I'm sure they would give a pretty benign reason as to why it was placed as such. Yeah, of course, Joe Biden is right in the centre of the photograph, uh, centre stage, and then next to him were the more important leaders, let's just say. All right, 6.47 in the morning. We are heading into some messages when we come back. We will take a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was Paul McCartney with Pipes of Peace. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Kusu Chuang. We are taking you through the news this morning, looking at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. Chuang has a bit of a mischievous grin on his face. I'm a little bit worried about what story he's going to bring up this morning. No, I'm just wondering why you're speaking so slowly, Shaz. Is it? It's um, very <laughs> unlike you. I've had pipes of peace, you know, I'm just vibing there. I see, I see. Ah, So, yeah, that's a metaphor for something else. Anyway, page three of the star. Very interesting because um, they are citing uh, travel agencies and they're saying that there's not many bookings for outbound holiday tours just yet. So I find that very interesting. And we, we think that, oh, borders are open, people want to travel, there's a lot of travel uh, pent-up demand. Maybe not so. Maybe there's still a bit of, like, maybe fear. I think a lot of people are waiting for their passports. There's been, like, legendary queues at oh, immigration yeah. departments for people wanting to renew their passports. So I think a lot of it is people, you know, needing the certification. But also don't forget that it has become more expensive to travel overseas now. You've got to think about testing if the country requires it. You've got to think about insurance if the country requires it. So there's just a lot more cost uh, to think about and that is prohibitive for some people I'm sure yeah actually I did check because um, my brother-in-law is going to the UK I think in a couple of weeks 6,000 you know just for I mean I mean okay lah there used to be about 3,000 ringgit but now there's 6,000 friend of mine coming from the UK to Malaysia he's paid I think 
is is literally doubled in the last uh, month, right? So what used to cost him nine hundred pounds, well, I think, has cost him now seventeen hundred pounds. That's a lot of money. It is. So he was going to come with his family. Now he can't because he's going can't afford it, lah. Right. So he's coming to see his 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 aging father. So that will affect calculations about yeah. who can travel, how long they can travel, where they can travel. I think we're going to see the repercussions of this play out in the next months or so till towards the end of the year. Um, other headlines that's caught your eye this morning, Chuang? Well, page uh, three of the star, of the star blood, the HCO brief. Um, according to the reporters who saw, who saw a letter sent by the companies to the Ministry of Finance, the four largest telco firms, Cellcom, uh, Exeter, uh, Digi, Maxis and New Mobile, want to to have a majority stake in the state 5G agency versus the proposal by the government to offer them a minority ownership. And that's hardly surprising because if you're going to invest huge capital sums into a new infrastructure, then you want to have at least a modicum of control and autonomy rather than saying how, how high when the government says, please jump. It is another turn or a continuing turn in this 5G saga that Malaysia is going through. This program, this scheme has been uh, stalled for the longest time because of this standoff between our telco companies and also Digital National Berhad, the uh, agency that's tasked with rolling out this 5G system. Um, I, What's the holdup between the two? It's still very opaque to the public in that sense. I mean, we're supposed to wait for the RAO document, which will list out the pricing and other details of what kind of uh, how this 5G is going to be allocated to the different telcos. We don't have visibility on that at least from the public side. What's the holdup between the two? We don't know. Um, but no doubt that the longer this thing goes for, the slower our 5G rollout, it will affect how <laughs> um, investors look to Malaysia in terms of where they want to put their money in the future. Can I just say that 5G is every day in China now and that they're, they're trawling 6G and 7G. So by the time Malaysia gets its act together and puts out 5G <laughs> We really don't <laughs> Want to be, get, don't want to reach We're that We're going to be two Gs behind the rest of the world already. Well, so yeah, pull your finger out and stop get, stop being so greedy, basically. right? All these fingers in the pie. And this goes to everybody involved, not just one or the other, but really everybody. All right, 6.56 in the morning. I think we can still squeeze in one more headline. And I want to bring to light this uh, news that came overnight. Uh, the Prime Minister has announced that the government has agreed in principle to the proposed enactment of the political funding bill and the policy scope would be tabled to the Cabinet soon. And this is long-awaited news. I think the calls for a political funding bill have been growing um, alongside the desire for anti-hopping legislation. So we know that anti-hopping legislation is in the works. If a political funding bill can also be implemented in tandem with that, uh, that would be a good place to uh, put us in ahead of G15 whenever that's being called. That's right. Also, the headline saying that AG's power may be clipped, which is, I guess, interesting in the context of the acquittal uh, of uh, the Sobai dynamic. Absolutely. Uh, senior officers. Calls for the roles of the Attorney General to be split into two. Uh, hope to see development on that front. It's 6.57 in the morning. We're we're heading into the 7 a.m. News Bulletin. And when we come back, a look at how global markets closed overnight. Taking you to the news in the midnight hour by Wilson Pickett, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.